Today is our final sermon in the series on the Beatitudes, and this eighth Beatitude focuses on those who are persecuted. Listen for how Jesus calls us to live. From Matthew chapter 4, beginning at verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. So his fame spread throughout all of Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he cured them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and then he began to speak, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way... They persecuted the prophets who were before you. May God bless this reading to our understanding. Mary Cornwallis was one of the first women to ever write a biblical commentary. She described the Beatitudes like this. The Beatitudes were written to cheer and support us through this pilgrimage of a valley of tears. Well, we all go through a valley of tears from time to time, and I hope that in these past eight weeks you have discovered from the Beatitudes some cheer and support for your own life. Today's Beatitude, though, it doesn't quite seem like it's aimed for people who are in a valley where there's a little trickle of tears. It's more like for people who are encountering an ocean of tears, a tsunami of tears. Blessed are the persecuted. It's really hard to see how this particular eighth beatitude applies to any of us. I mean, have you ever been persecuted for your faith? I'm pretty sure that I haven't. Of course, we, we know people who have been persecuted for their faith. There was that man who took hostages in a synagogue in Arlington, Texas, just a few weeks ago. There was the man who was shot in the bar in Olathe just a couple of years ago, and, and the gunman only fired because he thought that person was from a different country and from a different religion. And we read in our news sources about the religious persecution that is ongoing at this moment in China and other places around the globe. When I read this passage, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, what immediately pops into my mind is a young man named Atitia. I met Atitia at a refugee house in Italy when he was only 15 years old. I was his English tutor for several weeks. Atitia was tall 
handsome, and incredibly bright. He had grown up in a small African village that had no school, no school in the neighboring villages, and his family often went for long stretches of time without anything to eat during periods of drought. And so when Atitia turned 11 years old, his mom and dad supported his desire to, to flee, to seek an education, to, to leave their country so that he could have some economic opportunities. It took him four years to get from that small African village to the shores of Europe. Along the way, part of what he did to earn money for his passage across the Mediterranean was to work in a factory in Libya, and he worked for a full year, and at the end of the year, the factory owner refused to pay him one cent, really rendering him child slave labor. And then after that, he discovered that his papers were not complete, and so he was imprisoned and tortured for seven years. And as he shared with me his story, he pointed to the scar on his forehead, a reminder always of that time of persecution. All I could see in Atitia was hope and courage and love and bravery and kindness. And about his life, this verse completely fits. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. But for us, is there anything in our lives that fits this eighth beatitude? For several years, our church sent mission teams to work at a hospital in rural India. Now, the people in this part of India, they might be Christian, they might be Muslim, they might be Hindu, they might be nothing, but what they had in common was extreme poverty. This was the part of India where the lowest of the caste system had resided for generations. And at the hospital where we served, there was this daily Christian prayer service for all the staff, and I was frequently invited to deliver the morning meditation one day after chapel, the director of the hospital, who was a very risky, bold, courageous, kind of edgy guy, he said, hey, come run this errand with me in the van. So we were running errands, and we began talking about some of the nursing students who had grown up Muslim or Hindu and had converted to Christianity. And I said to him, hey, hey have they ever been baptized? Because, I mean, while I'm here, I'd be happy to do some kind of baptismal service. And he looked at me, his eyes popped out of his head, he swerved the van, and he said, what are you trying to do, get me killed? And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, they could shut this hospital down if they found out we were doing baptisms here. And I wondered, do we modern Christians have the kind of courage that those early Christians had when they professed Christ, though they knew they could be imprisoned or tortured for that confession? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Christian martyr during World War II in Germany. He indeed risked his life, gave his life that others might live. He wrote, if we want to be Christian, we must share in Christ's large-heartedness, his liberating love for all who suffer. But what about us? Do we share in Christ's large-heartedness, even if it means our lives become at risk? Most of the time, for me, being a Christian means 
following the norms, going with the flow, being part of the status quo. Most of the people I hang out with are Christian. I live in a nation that is comprised mostly of people who are Christian. Oh, we are different brands of Christian. We have different practices, different beliefs, but we all follow the same Christ who taught the golden rule. You know, in a few weeks, our pastor's class, many of them will decide to get baptized right over here on Palm Sunday. And on that Sunday, not any elder or deacon or parent or pastor will think, we better lock the doors for fear anybody finds out we're doing baptisms in here. We can send our kids to school. We can seek economic freedom without any fear of torture. So what about the eighth beatitude? I mean, what does it have to do with our lives? Professor Warren Carter says that if we follow the way of life envisioned in the first seven beatitudes, that we will most certainly live in a way that challenges the status quo of our time. If we are meek, if we are pure in heart, if we hunger for justice, if we are merciful, then there will be moments when we are out of alignment with the power structures of the dominant society. And when we do, says Dr. Carter, the empire will strike back. The goal, you see, the goal is not persecution. The goal is to participate in God's holy ways on this earth, but that might get us into trouble. While I was writing this sermon and thinking that this beatitude doesn't apply much to us, I got a phone call from a woman in another city whom I deeply admire. She had just been unjustly fired. She's bright, she's compassionate, she's loyal to the mission of her organization, but she was just told, clear out your desk, leave within minutes, the locks have been changed, she was given no reason. And I had to decide. Would I just listen as a compassionate friend, or would I take action to stand up for fairness and justice? Would I be able to figure out a way in this injustice to make a difference not only for her, but for the organization that we both care about? And then I thought about my friend Mike, who lives just a few blocks from here. He's a, a, a retired businessman, took early retirement because he is deeply committed to creating more affordable housing options in Kansas City. You see, his brother was mentally handicapped and struggled with the ability to find housing in the city where they grew up. And so Mike has studied the issue, and he's convinced that solving the problem of the houseless in Kansas City will involve government and not-for-profits and individuals who care and churches working together in partnership, but what will it cost us? And is it worth the risk? And then I remembered Fannie Lou Hammer, who in my own lifetime was jailed and beaten for advocating for voting rights in this country. And this issue of voting rights is still in the public dialogue today. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my sake, said Jesus. Are we willing to stand up for what Jesus wants? For what God desires in our time and in our place, even 
if we have to take a bit of heat for it. Professor Carter reminds us that disciples respond to persecution in a certain way. They refuse to give up, they don't give in, and they do not retaliate. They rejoice because they are engaged in God's goodness here on this earth. In his book, Just Mercy, Harvard-educated lawyer Brian Stevenson tells about the work that he is engaged in in the criminal justice system to make sure that every human being gets a fair trial. Brian, at the time, was working to overturn the conviction of a black man on death row named Walter. Brian believed that Walter was completely innocent. And while Brian was working on Walter's case, many people who had grown up with Walter or worked with Walter called Brian to say, I'll do anything. Let me know how I can help. He's a good man. But Brian realized that everyone who had called him had been poor and black until one day when his phone rang and it was a white man. He said, I'm a rebel. My people were heroes in the Confederacy. I have inherited their land, the title, and their pride. I love this country, but I know that what happened to Walter ain't right. And he went on to say that he would not stand by while injustice was done to Walter, even if he himself risked persecution and bodily harm. In the book of 1 Peter, we are warned not to make mischief unless it is for the sake of Christ. Sometimes we Christians equate our calling with being kind, with keeping our mouth shut. Sometimes we follow the status quo. We go along and we get along. But this eighth beatitude reminds us that we need to make mischief in order for God's work to be done in this world. As Senator John Lewis used to say, get into trouble, but get into good trouble, necessary trouble. Sometimes we all come to that point where we push past our fears and discover the courage to act, even if all indicators are around us saying, don't make mischief. Sometimes we have to make mischief because we are devoted to sharing God's love, God's truth, God's mercy with this world. And I think of Mr. and Mrs. Jennings. In their 70s, living on their 10-acre farm in the South, raising food, Mr. and Mrs. Jennings scrimped and saved for many years so that they could send their grandson to college, but he died before he reached college age. One day, Mr. and Mrs. Jennings went to church, and there was a guest speaker, and it was Brian Stevenson, that lawyer, and he was talking about all these teenagers who are incarcerated. Too often, he said, these teenagers are jailed with adults and they're tried as adults, although they are just really children. To illustrate, the lawyer, Stevenson, he told the story of Charlie, who was only 14 and who had tried to save his mother's life and protect his mother from her abusive boyfriend, and now he was incarcerated. After the talk, 
Mr. and Mrs. Jennings, they came up to Brian Stevenson and they said, we'd like to help Charlie. Could, could we write Charlie a letter? And Brian Stevenson said, no, 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 that, that's not going to be good for you. It's not going to be good for Charlie. No. And they said, we, we, we really want to reach out to Charlie. Could we just send a letter to you and you could give it to Charlie? And Brian agreed, but he didn't want them to get involved. But they did. They started corresponding with Charlie. The letters flew back and forth, and they became like family to Charlie. Mr. and Mrs. Jennings saw to it that Charlie was able to get his GED while he was in juvenile detention. And then they took that college fund that they had saved for their grandson, and they gave it to Charlie so that he could go to college. And when Charlie was released from detention at age 18, Mr. and Mrs. Jennings went with Charlie's mom, and they carried him home. They carried him home. Sooner or later, this final beatitude will describe all of our lives as we too make mischief so that God's will can be done on this earth. And I don't know how it's going to happen for you or how it has happened. Maybe it was in your homes association. Maybe it was in your office. Maybe it was in your own family. But we, too, are called to make mischief. And sometimes it will help to remember that on the doorway above the orphanage in Calcutta that Mother Teresa built are these words. People are unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Do good anyway. If you are successful, you win false friends and true enemies. Succeed anyway. The good you do will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Honesty and frankness will make you vulnerable. Be honest and frank anyway. What you spend years building may be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. People really need help, but may attack you if you help them. Help people anyway. Give the world the best you have, and you'll get kicked in the teeth. Give the world the best you've got anyway. <laughs>